0: Hi, I'm David Hershkovitz, and you're listening to Light Culture, brought to you exclusively by Burb, where cannabis clothing and culture intersect. Based in Vancouver, Canada, Burb strives to build on the city's legacy of cannabis tolerance and its gift to the world, BC Bud. Follow us on Instagram at ShopBurb and subscribe to this podcast at shopburb.com forward slash light culture, Serial entrepreneur April Pride has found her calling. After selling her cannabis product design company, Vanderpop, to Tokyo Smoke, she's moving into media with of-like minds. Her target audience? The empowered woman who doesn't have to depend on her man to get high. A large demographic, she believes, is underserved and underappreciated in the high-flying cannabis. I feel like we're still educating women as consumers, she says. There's just so much information that is hard to digest and changing every day that I would rather be a part of this conversation than developing products to put on shelves. First on her to-do list is How Do You Do The Pot, a narrative-based podcast that looks to give credit to the women who helped make the cannabis industry what it is today. With women being the fastest growing segment of the CBD cannabis market, Pride's business acumen overlaps with her personal journey. Neither drinking nor smoking in high school, she's become one of the strongest advocates for women hoping to answer the question, now I've got the pot and what am I going to do with it? We talk about the intersection of cannabis and sex, How the new cannabis magazines targeting women get it right, postpartum pot, and the many other ways that women can potentially benefit from cannabis normalization. Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Light Culture Podcast. Today, my guest is April Pride. She's been a fashion designer, created several companies, including most recently Vanderpop, which she sold to Tokyo Smoke. Always product-focused, she's moving into media with her company Of Like Minds, a marketing channel to reach women where she's getting ready to launch a podcast, How to Do the Pot. April, why a podcast and why media? You're a designer, you've been trained as a designer, you've been working as a designer, why go to the treacherous world of media?
1: Probably because I don't know what I'm doing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good reason.
1: If I did, I wouldn't do it. No, I feel like, so we launched Vanderpop. First of all, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm really happy that this worked out. Um, fan, obviously, of Paper Magazine for years and years. And so this is a, this is very cool to be talking to you as, I guess, the media part of my career begins to uh, take its course So Vanderpop, when we launched in 2015, as you said, I'm a designer by training. I went to architecture school and I've designed everything from lighting accessories for homes to interiors of homes. I hesitate to call myself a fashion designer because I haven't really been trained and I don't know how to sew or make a pattern, (laughs) but I did get lucky with this one dress and it was something that um, took off here in Seattle and beyond um, right before vanderpop started calling so that too launched with accessories to store smoke and share cannabis i like to design products right touch feel that feels right to me so but what we found is that products uh, that are intended for the use with cannabis we're not that's not where women are yet they're still trying to understand this plant and so We launched in January 2016 Vanderpop, and then by that fall, we had moved into really an education platform for women to understand cannabis and the role that it could have in their well-being. So with Of Like Minds, which I launched this February two years after having sold Vanderpop to a Canadian company, Tokyo Smoke, and now ultimately uh, Vanderpop sits as one of the top three brands at Canopy Growth. In Canada, I left in in sorry, in February to start this company because I feel like we're still educating women as consumers. and so, as much as I would like to get my hands dirty again and start designing products, it's just simply not where the consumer is. and this category, right? this product is so important and the information that comes along with it that I like being a part of that conversation and making sure that women are hearing in terms that are relevant to them relative to their life why cannabis right so and they don't understand you know we laugh how do you do the pot (laughs) right so that's the name of the podcast how to do the pot and it ranges the first season is six episodes and we talk about again topics that are relevant to women I think because there's just so much information that it's hard to digest. It's changing every day. And so I would rather be a part of this conversation than developing products to put on shelves. Yeah, at this point in the industry.
0: So what is the historic role of women in cannabis? Like even today, I guess when you go into some of these dispensaries, you'll see the women all like dolled up and looking more like something to attract the men into this, into the space as opposed to attracting women to come inside. And also just sort of you're, you're as a woman, coming to cannabis. Mm-hmm. So I guess you had, as well, some kinds of um, difficulties along the way. Is that correct?
1: In the cannabis space?
0: Yeah. Did, did oh. you have a hard time because you were a woman? Do you feel like women are not welcome? Or
1: Oh, interesting. No, I, you know, I'm maybe... Um, Ignorance is bliss in a way. I feel like Vanderpop would never have reached the success that it has had I not been a woman working in cannabis and supported by so many women, both as community members, uh, potential consumers, and as professionals looking to collaborate in any way. So women receive 2% of all BC funding and and that statistic is the reason I sold my company. I knew we were on to something. I knew it was going to take a lot longer to get the consumer to a place where they were ready to walk into a dispensary, right? And choose a product that we may bring to market. So it was pretty clear to me that unless I could wait this out for years that I needed a lot more capital to continue to educate the consumer. So out of necessity comes some pretty... Um, pretty creative innovation. And I think the way that women came together, different brands and different founders to leverage our networks and make sure that our reach was extended as far as possible has really been my experience in the industry. It's been very collaborative with other women. And I've, yeah, I feel like I've got allies in men too. So it's been all right.
0: And what about your personal relationship with the plant, the flower? How did that evolve? Was that something in high school? Did you smoke or what as a woman as well? I'm curious how you evolved into where you are today.
1: So, um, no, I did not consume anything, including alcohol in high school. Uh, I was definitely trying to get the hell out of Virginia. So I was focused on my studies and when I got to college, everything <laughs> came in one fell swoop, and so yeah, I started experimenting with cannabis. But really, you know, I was experimenting with it also with alcohol. So you know, half the time it didn't quite go as planned. When I would consume during the daytime uh, without without alcohol, or even in evenings without without alcohol, through my twenties, it was it was so much more pleasant than drinking, frankly, but it just wasn't very social, right? So it was always something that we would do at home, either before going out or after going out or instead of going out. And so my relationship with cannabis was all about who I was hanging out with. And if they had some, I never had my own stash. I didn't have my own stash until it became legal in Washington state in 2014. I just either I'm lucky enough to have friends that kind of had it around and I didn't have to to worry about it or it just simply wasn't a priority in my life. I didn't have the education that I now do to understand the ways in which it could be used rather than some of the maybe the other self-medication that I was saying yes to or different ways that I was managing occasional conditions, right, whether it's something that's topical or my menstrual pain, etc. So, yeah, I think I represent sort of the new consumer where, yeah, it was around I tried it, but now I can go, you know, six blocks from my house or whatever it is and buy some on Friday and have it for the weekend. And so what does that look like? How does that, that has changed a lot since 2014, my weekly, daily relationship with the plant, so.
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of typical in in back in the days of the prohibition, at least, and even probably still that way in New York and other places, though, It seems to be changing slowly. But the idea of of women getting, you know, depending on on the guys, right, to usually have the stash, right? So it wasn't...
1: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah, so you were dependent on somebody else, typically a guy. This is, I hate to generalize, but this story is, you know, it's fairly common that if you had a boyfriend that had some, well, you're into it during that time, or you really weren't into it during that time, depending on his relationship with mm-hmm. it, perhaps. But yeah, I would I would like to get back to the question that you had about women's role in cannabis. Like if we look at it from during prohibition and you think about women who have accelerated, Research who have accelerated acceptance among the public, whether they're, um, you know, I think about Brownie Mary and uh, what she did for AIDS patients, hospice patients in San Francisco. And the doctors saw what cannabis, the impact that it was having on just quality of life for patients and starting to research cannabis as medicine, right? These were AIDS patients. I think about Charlotte, Charlotte's Webb, and her mom.
0: But you're right. I think there is sort of like an unacknowledged history of women in cannabis that doesn't really get recognized typically for the role they played. and I, I imagine as as the years go on and people start exploring and looking into this, there will be more attention paid there. There's probably many more we don't know about,
1: yeah. I mean, so a short history of it. we have brownie Mary Wright, who was who contributed to medical cannabis legalization in California. Katherine Jacobson, she rallied for the first FDA-approved drug through GW Pharma. Charlotte Figgy, she considered patient zero essentially for CBD used as as medicine as well. And um, Elizabeth Thiel, she's an epileptologist, <laughs> uh, really studying vernacular cannabis, so the ways in which cannabis has been used really as folk medicine throughout history and how that's changed with really with innovation right how we're how we're cultivating it today and how we're breeding high high thc strains and what that's done to change people's relationship with the plant or how it's been used when we've Spread out all the CBD that was once working in tandem with THC. So, yeah, a professor at Columbia University, Diana Martinez, she went through chemo, she had cancer, and she used CBD to mitigate her symptoms and started pushing really for more research. So women have been integral to pushing this along from a legal standpoint and for research and development. And it just shows that most of the women that I talked to, if they didn't have a relationship with cannabis, Prior, they found it because they themselves or someone they loved had a medical emergency and they had tried everything. Cannabis was the last resort, it was the first thing that worked. So, really, I find that the work that we're trying to do is to make sure that women understand this choice sooner and that their own or someone they love's quality of life. Can get back on track as quickly as possible, thanks to cannabis.
0: Well, even you know, if you look around, it's probably you could argue that women are actually, you know, the the, a big growing proportion of the new users, right? Attracted, especially to the health and wellness CBD component of of the industry right now. That there, it must be growing tremendously, right?
1: Yes, I mean, by next year, EASE had a report that came out the beginning of this year based on 2018 findings that 2020 there'll be equal number of men and women consuming cannabis in the state of California, and uh, Canada is seeing is seeing similar numbers. yeah
0: yeah, so what in, in your podcast, is this something that you're going to be talking about? Or, well, give me an idea of some of the subjects and how do you plan to you know approach the idea of women in cannabis?
1: So it's a narrative-based podcast. So we're exploring the history of cannabis through women's stories. So just like I had mentioned, you know, you've got women who find cannabis because they are in a, a health crisis. They are someone they love. So we're going to touch on some of the potential health crises that women experience where cannabis can play a role again in getting their quality of life back on track. So in the first episode we explore pain and CBD and talk to a UFC fighter Michelle Waterson. She's a champion oh, a world champion at UFC fighting which is amazing. So she uses CBD not only for her training so that mm-hmm. she can push herself further and recover faster, but also when she steps out of the cage. It's amazing that the fights I've watched her, it's unbelievable what she's <laughs> capable of I doing. She has to go home and make dinner and put her daughter to bed. So she has to kind of wind back the aggro and and just be mom. And she finds that CBD helps her with that. So that was a really interesting conversation. And then we talked to Dr. Jessica Knox. She and her sister, mom and dad, have American cannabinoid clinics based here in the Pacific Northwest. They're out of Portland. And she explained how does the body work, Right with with cannabis. So we go through the endocannabinoid system and explain how pain is mitigated thanks to CBD. And THC actually really works on pain, whereas CBD is really about inflammation, which can lead to pain. But she explains that further about brain science. So why can't women sleep and how can cannabis help with that? Migraines. Women are three times more likely to suffer from chronic migraines than men. Autoimmune disorders. We focus specifically on endometriosis, what I've been asked over and over and over again throughout the years. Above any other topic, twice as much engagement through social channels or after meeting somebody's pregnancy. So we have an entire episode dedicated to pregnancy. But autoimmune and endometriosis, that really came about because... A lot of my friends are having hysterectomies right around the age of 40. They're finding out that the reason that they were infertile was because they had endometriosis, but you can't find that out until you're already in surgery uh, for something else. And that's how it's diagnosed. And so why are we waiting so long, right? Why do women have to suffer so much? Because I went online and found an NIH report that showed 15 different studies that showed that a deficiency in the endocannabinoid system led to the growth of endometriosis and led to higher rates of chronic pain as a result of endometriosis. What we're doing is connecting dots, right? I'm listening to women. I'm seeing what's going on in cannabis and and creating a dialogue around topics that women will care about and then through the lens of cannabis Um, and how they can use it as medicine. And then other topics include pharmaceuticals and how your pharmaceuticals are impacted by your cannabis consumption in terms of their efficacy and what cannabis means for the aging population as, you know, the third of all prescriptions written in the U.S. go to people over 65. And so, you know, how can we reduce the the number of pills they're taking because oftentimes they either forget to take their pill, they take the wrong pill.
0: Sex and cannabis is a subject that's listed as one of your concerns. Was that to have better sex, or what is the goal of something in cannabis and sex?
1: Yeah, when I started exploring those, the topic, the intersection of cannabis and sex in 2016 it was really because I was like wait a second what (laughs) I didn't know this and I started working with a company called Foria out of California and using their product again listening to my friends and the challenges they were having in their own relationships around intimacy um, whether it was unable to connect with their partner or you know affairs that are happening. And, you know, I'm at an age now where we're talking about families being destroyed over things like this. So I'm like, wow, if they could just get high with their partner, that's interesting, right? So it seems like there could be a simple available, a more, a simple, it's not always simple, but available solution that, you know, it just isn't even being um, offered, right? And so, but what I found out since then is that you've got women who, experience PTSD, pain, sex is very painful for them, either emotionally or physically as a result of endometriosis or other trauma that they've experienced. And so cannabis for them is the difference between actually being able to have sex, not just so that they can have sex with their partner, but so that they can enjoy it with their partner and they can really Connect with them in a way that maybe they haven't been able to in years. You know, postpartum very, very painful for women to have sex, not just for the first time after they have the baby, but ongoing. Just depending on how um, labor went. So that's for me when I think about cannabis and sex. Now it's it's exploring the things that we're not talking about at all, or. Enough, right? There are women that experience great great trauma, and cannabis can allow them to be present. It can help mitigate pain symptoms so so that's really where i my head is now and the information that we're that we're sharing when it comes to cannabis and
0: sex but uh, you know there's that also that issue of stigmatization of around cannabis anyway, and even more so with regard to women
1: mm-hmm.
0: so it seems like there has to be a lot of work going on in all these different directions to try to get to some point where you can use it effectively as treatment. Mm-hmm. If you feel, you know, it's already giving you a low esteem to even be around it.
1: Yeah, I no. At Vanderpop, we conducted a survey and the result, these results would have been from 2017, but 66% of all women, 1500 North American women we surveyed felt like there was stigma around cannabis, their cannabis consumption. And if they lived in a legal state or country, it was medically legal at the time in in Canada, I'm sorry, 68% felt like there was a stigma associated with their cannabis consumption. And if it was legal, it was 66%. So even being legal, it didn't change a woman's perception of the fact that she felt like she was still being judged. Whereas for men... My reading into some of this data is that men really just care if it's legal, right? They they don't want to lose their insurance. They don't want to lose their job. They don't want to go to jail. All legitimate reasons, right? To be concerned about consuming. And then when it becomes legal, they can breathe a little easier. Whereas women, it's more societal-based judgment and fear. So what will people think about them as a mom, um, of course, they don't want to lose their children. So the legality around it is super important. But why doesn't that change? Why doesn't their fear of judgment change when it is, in fact, legal? And that, to me, is just they're worried about people's opinions of them as as a productive member of society, again, as a good mom, as, as a woman who is like, morally righteous in a way, I think, is also what we're the ideal that we're held up against too, so.
0: Well, as customs change and this becomes more accepted in society, I imagine, you know, a time when it would be less of a problem in a way. I mean, because even men, uh, you know, having... Been around for for a number of years myself, pretty much. You know, underground economy living, and even in New York today, it's still pretty much like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you you live in a world that's where billions of dollars have been spent to try to make you feel bad and and teach you that you're you know a stoner, you're inefficient, you know, you can't get work done. Meanwhile, we know there's so many people who are very productive mm-hmm. at the same time, but still. Uh, in society, it's was it's very closeted. Uh, even people, because I, I have a friend, for example, who wrote a book about uh, weed, and you know, and did a lot of research and went around, and you know, so he goes into a, an agent's office, a book agent, and he says, "Well, I have this idea. I don't know, you know, what you think of it." You know, he's afraid he's going to be called out once he mentions that he wants to write a book about cannabis, and then. You know, then he finds out, oh, yeah, man, I'm a big smoker myself. So, you know, he's talking to somebody that he thinks is going to be offended by his idea, who actually turns out to be a secret smoker. So, um, I don't know, there seems like that this is kind of universal, even though, I don't know, have men, obviously, you know, in certain uh, aspects of the culture, you can, if you're hanging out in bars anyway, and and you also step outside and grab a smoke and come back in, I don't think anybody's going to look down on you. But I think the more you move around in polite society, you have to deal with that um, aspect. In Canada, where it's legal, but if you walk into a restaurant and people smell that you have the aroma of it, that will all look at you like, you know, what's wrong with you? And then somebody compared that to like mm-hmm. if you had drank too much and you had, you know, and you smelled like alcohol. So you would still have that same stigma of somebody who was, you know, maybe doing a little too much of something, not being discreet enough. Anyway, I'm just wondering, you know, about the changing times. So if we were ahead like in 10 years from now, how would you like to see... The culture with regard to cannabis and women in particular. What would a woman's life be like in the ideal world for you?
1: Well, um, I would hope that at this, at that point, ten years in the future, that the U.S. it's legal um, federally for for all to consume as as they feel is appropriate for them. Right. I mean, this is why this product is so difficult to regulate to to categorize because it's medicinal it's wellness. <laughs> yeah. It's recreational. So if somebody that I work with needs to have a vaporizer pen that they discreetly use at their desk throughout the day and it's allowing them to reduce the dosage of their SSRI by 50%, do they really need to tell me all of that or can I just trust that they as an adult who is doing their job, showing up on time, meeting their deadlines, etc., excelling, that this is what they need to do so that their life looks as close to what they would like for it to look like, right? And I I that's I hope that we get there that we can allow people to consume in the office and not Look at it the same way that we look at alcohol. You know, I mean, we've all heard this, but alcohol has not been prescribed for cancer, you know, to help mitigate the symptoms that come along with the treatment of cancer. Um, It has never been something that you would tell. I mean, women talk about drinking postpartum, pump and dump, all of this, whereas we're trying to have a real dialogue around, well, what is the What's the threshold for an okay amount of THC to consume while you're pregnant and breastfeeding because women are being prescribed pharmaceuticals with with side effects that could potentially be worse than cannabis, but we don't know because there's not research. There is some research. There's a group at University of Washington here in Seattle that is going to study the effects of some pharmaceutical drugs that are prescribed to women for um, morning sickness um, versus using cannabis to mitigate those symptoms, and they're going to follow the moms and the babies for three years, and that just started. So we're getting there. Our work is to make sure that you understand that the person next to you uses this same plant for many different reasons, and you just, you can't use it as a reason to judge them if it seems like they're consuming more than you do, or you think that they should, and in terms of the smell, it's so interesting that you would bring that up because I would, you know, I think two years ago when I was sat here, David, and said, "Oh, in ten years, we'll all be popping a pill, right? We're not going to be smoking this, we're not going to be vaporizing this. Um, you can use it topically, but really, we're going to go into a lab, we're going to recreate these compounds, and we're going to find the most efficient um, delivery method possible, and." What I have learned and the research through listening to researchers is that using full spectrum plant medicine means that if you're using cannabinoid for pain, that not only will it reduce your pain more significantly, but it will also reduce it for longer. So the entourage or ensemble effect of CBD or THC working with other cannabinoids as well as terpenes and other compounds found in plants really does have better results. So, I think we're going to have to grow the plant and extract medicine from it directly until they figure out if they could actually recreate that in a lab, but as of now it seems like people are going to need to continue to smoke this. The other thing is that it most of the consumers that I meet that are in the industry, whether they started this way or not, they like to smoke the flower. That's how they want to consume it. It has the best taste. It has the best outcome in terms of, you know, if they're looking to feel high, right? If they're looking to have a ritual with the plant, like everyone thinks that this is going to go away and we're not going to be smoking anymore. But it seems to me the more that people dive into this, the more they find themselves smoking more than looking at alternative ways to consume. It's really interesting. So I think we're going to have to get used to the fact that people are going to be smelling like weed more and more.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, also, it's it's also one of the most interesting parts of the whole cannabis world is all these various strains and all, you know, the people, the craft uh, people out there t- putting together these amazing blends and, and, you know, constantly, you know, it's like going into um, – you know, like a craft beer mm-hmm. store where there's hundreds of different beers and suddenly you realize, wow, there's this, there's that. I had no idea. There's so many options and you want to try, you know, see what that tastes like. What does that taste like? So this that's kind of like one of the most interesting, like, cultural aspects of, of this whole cannabis. So, you know, apart from, well, its benefits – there's sort of a connoisseurship side of to the whole thing mm-hmm. that a lot of people are very much into right now, I noticed. And it's very high-end as well. It's like super expensive. You know, so people are developing all these uh, uh, ways of, in the business around the culture of the plant, like you're saying. Oh. That To me, that's a, a very interesting part of it that I had very little contact with because just wasn't, uh, you know, I just didn't get into mm-hmm. that world particularly. But now I'm seeing it, and it's fascinating.
1: Well, I mean, I think you got what you got, right? You had a guy, and he
0: he had something, <laughs> and you were guy.
1: thrilled about it. Yeah, you still got a guy, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so now there, we just all have so many more options, not only because it's legal and you can walk in a store and you've got all these SKUs, But even if you don't live in a legal state, you've probably visited one, right? And so you've got your guy and you're like, well, I was in Colorado and I tried this. Do you think you could – you know, people are now – there's a demand for different products or for different strains. So I think educating the consumer and them having all these options, they're like, oh, this – I can really dial in this experience. It doesn't just have to be one way, Right. So, I
0: do you feel there's there's particular strains that work better for focused health concerns or wellness that that work better than others?
1: I mean, I think that what's become very clear is that CBD and THC used in combination, particularly to to deal with pain, buying an over-the-counter CBD product that has cannabidiol that's been extracted from the hemp plant, has very little THC, is not going to help you get to sleep. So I think that the one thing that women are finding is you've got to have both. It's not just a 20% THC or a 6% THC product, but it's like, okay, how much CBD is in this product too?
0: Right. I think, you know, it's a shame that, you know, we've lived in this era where it was illegal, forbidden to do research. And, And even now that States are legal, so there's some research that is taking place, but on a national level, we still can't do research. Mm -hmm. So people are kind of like having to figure it out on their own. It sounds like you've become like a little scientist along the way here.
1: Well, I'm lucky that I have access, right? I get to go to these conferences and listen to the brightest minds that are in the world that are on this, that are studying this plant and and have been, excuse me, for decades, right? I think maybe that's why I'm doing a podcast, David, because I just want to continue to listen to people and and put together um, a dialogue that I think women will benefit from.
0: Well, one thing I find interesting as well, given that it's like, in, you know, it's been around forever, but it's 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 a new industry at the same time.
1: Yes, it is. Women feel like there's an opportunity to help shape it into an industry where we can have a seat at the table. Um, it just so happens that this industry is coming up at the same time that a lot of really hard conversations and a lot of shakeout is happening in other industries, so... I think we all feel grateful for that, right? And and the other thing that we've as women have have come to recognize unfortunately just in great numbers recently is that our health and wellness it's really up to us, right, to make sure that our needs are being met. And the example that I often give because I just think it's so telling is that the FDA has 26 approved drugs for men's sexual health. And there's one that kind of works for women because the people who are making decisions about what should we be researching and developing and how much money is there to be made in it are men. And if women felt like they could be honest about what's plaguing their relationships, their intimate relationships, I think that I think that these companies would find that if it were possible for them to develop something that could give women more satisfaction in in the bedroom, that they would make a ton of money off of it, right? Yeah, sure. So why is there only one? Well, cannabis is also one. And so I feel right. like cannabis is not only one that can help you in terms of your intimacy, but it can also help with, again, with monthly menstrual. Issues. I mean, I remember being 13 and my best friend was taking Anaprox. I found out in the last couple of years what Anaprox is. It is a hardcore muscle relaxer that my 13-year-old friend was taking. You know, we've been giving women these pills for so long, whether it's birth control or other pharmaceuticals to help with the pain that comes along with having your period, that we've, you know, we're sort of backwards on all of this, right? And Um, I think women are starting to realize that this plant is a way that they can take control of their own health and wellness. And so women being involved in the industry and being in roles where they're making decisions along every single step in the supply chain, it's important, will change the experience for women as consumers because we can get products to market that women care about that will have an impact on their life. And and it won't happen in 10 years, right? Like we can get it there a lot faster if we're listening to our consumers.
0: Right. Because, uh, you know, on the one hand, you would think the market economy would drive, you know, the business towards making products for women because obviously they're big consumers. But at the same time, I, there's probably these moral issues around especially sex and women and pleasure that, uh, you know, people... You know, have problems with in the, in our culture, uh, allowing women to have yeah. pleasure, yeah. In that way. and think
1: about what you asked at the beginning of this conversation. Like, I go walk into a dispensary, and it seems like the women are there to attract the men, and I always think about what. Matthew, who is the founder of Foria, said, like, April, it's so hard to tell women to walk into a pot shop and ask for sex loop. Like, <laughs> we are across the board mm. putting them in a in a position that they just are not comfortable with and might not ever really be, depending on who that woman is. So how can we help them get this product without having to put themselves in a situation where they're having to out themselves, quote, um, to someone that they don't know or don't know if they can trust, or you know, they're asking them pretty specific medical advice. And while bud tenders are not supposed to give it, you know, you, they can give recommendations based on what other consumers have shared with them. So there's a lot of a lot of work to be done to make sure that women can get access to this product. I mean, not just you know have it delivered versus having to walk into a store. But it's expensive. If you are trying to consume cannabis for a chronic condition on a daily basis, I mean, to be able to afford that for years, it's so expensive.
0: Yeah, and there's no insurance, right? And it's the CBD is really expensive. With
1: no insurance, yeah. exactly. One,
0: one interesting aspect also. Um, we can kind of end it uh, around here, but the uh, when with regard to media. I find it surprising that there are women magazines, you know, women magazines that are really have a women's feel and touch to it that are very different from, you know, whatever, High Times or Cannabis Now, uh, which, let's say, is more on the masculine side, but where you have, like, a Gossamer or Broccoli or others that have a women's sensibility, a feel to it, and that it's interesting to me that these would be, you know, in a time when magazines are on decline, we see an increase in in magazines in in this space, in the cannabis space, and and several mm-hmm. of them are directed at women. yeah,
1: and fa- and founded or co-founded by by women, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think Anya has done a very good job with broccoli of giving the consumer something to do when they're high right so that's what how to do the pot the podcast is about I'm like okay so now i've got this weed what do what do i do with it right someone told me it was good for my joints someone else told me that it was fun to watch a movie you know well, what do I, what strain what's a strain not just what strain do i get but what's a strain and if i don't want to smoke then i'm scared of edibles and so now there's this vape thing like what the hell am i supposed to do april so So, you know, I think, um, again, those magazines being able to sit down, have have some infused tea or share a joint and go through these visually stunning publications that also kind of fuck with your head a little bit, too. If you're stoned in the way that they present information, it's it's yeah, it's such a pleasure, right? It's a reason to step away from your screen and to open the pages and to flip through. So, yeah, I think women have gotten it right in the industry in terms of print publications.
0: Okay, well, April Pride, thank you so much for spending some time with me. I find it very educational and look forward to listening to your podcast.
1: Thank you, David. Yeah, same. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'll make sure that you've got the information. We launch November 19th, How to Do the Pot. Subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts.
0: Thank you, you've been listening to Light Culture, brought to you exclusively by Burb, where cannabis clothing and culture intersect. Please follow us on Instagram at shopburb, and subscribe to this podcast at shopburb.com forward slash light culture, as well as iTunes and all the regular distribution platforms.